with the 14th pick in the 2020 NFL Draft, the San Francisco 49ers select Javon Kinlaw, defensive tackle, South Carolina. That clip is courtesy of ESPN and the NFL. What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Red and Gold Standard podcast. My name is Zach Hernandez. You can follow me on Twitter at Zach Hernan. Uh, make sure you follow the podcast at RGS Pod and make sure you are following 49ers Hive at 49ers Hive. As always, I'm joined by my good friend, Anthony Perry. Anthony, how you doing? What is going on, guys? Zach the Faithful. It is your boy, Perry, back with another edition of the Red and Gold Standard Podcast. As always, guys, follow me on Twitter, Perry underscore 49ers. That's P-E-R-R-Y underscore 49-E-R-S. Let's get it rolling, Zach. We uh, It was a pretty damn exciting draft experience, I would say, from being virtual to a lot of trade-ups, trade-backs, surprising picks, you know, all the works, really. So let's get into it, man. I'm really excited. Yeah, yeah. Um, me too, man. And I think you kind of you hit the nail on the head with my first question here with now that the draft is in the rearview mirror and it's kind of all, you know, we're all looking back on it. What was your main takeaway from the virtual draft experience? Did you like it better? Did you feel like you kind of got shorted? Uh, what did you think of it? When I look back on it, I think like, yeah, having to do it this way obviously made sense because there's no way you want, you know, the best NFL players out in the open around people who could possibly have the virus. And I mean, that's what stemmed this whole thing is the virus. But I did feel a little upset because I really wanted to see the guys go out on the little paddle boats, you know, in the Bellagio in Vegas, because that would have been insane to watch them like just get paddled out onto the stage. But John or John Gruden, what's the name? Roger Goodell said that the draft will be in Vegas in 2022. And assuming that everything works out well in the next two years, I cannot wait for that to happen. But overall, I think it was really exciting to see every NFL draftee get to be with their friends and family while that happened. That is really, really exciting for them. And plus, too, it's really exciting for the fans and the, the fans and the families just to be able to experience that on national TV. So you got to give them a lot of props. I give the NFL a lot of props. And people don't do that too often What with all the bad calls and the referees and the way they handle things. But I think this is one of the first time first times in a while that I think the NFL genuinely handled something very well. Yeah, you know, I think that's a good point. A lot of people like to kind of, uh, you know, throw shade on the NFL or, you know, just kind of tell them or, or bag on them and that, they, you know, they can never do anything right. But I think that they actually got this one right. I think that, um, like you said, it was the right call. There was kind of talked, uh, excuse me, talk about Roger Goodell wanting to continue the draft as planned. Uh, even shortly, I feel like a couple of weeks before the draft, they were still talking about proceeding as normal. So I think that um, it was a good idea and a good call to go online. And I actually really enjoyed it. Um, I know that we have our live stream up of the first round, me, you and Matt. And, uh, you know, you guys can see all of our reactions in real time if you want to go check that on on YouTube. But also from the other aspect, the coaches and the GMs and the front office, everybody is raving about this system. You know, coaches are coming out saying, why weren't we doing this sooner? You know, I was able to spend so much time with my family, so much more time with my family and still get the same amount of work done. It's almost like, you know, you don't know what you can still do from home until you have to do it. So I really enjoyed it. And I, I definitely like the idea of coaches being able to spend more time with their families because that's kind of lost on people. 
Um, now, Anthony, the 49ers, you know, draft this past weekend, there was a lot of big moves. Uh, what was, which was more shocking to you and why? The Trent Williams trade, uh, the Javon Kinlaw pick, or Brandon Ayuk trade-up and why? I think with everything that happened with the Niners, just in day one and day two alone, I think I got to give it to the Trent Williams trade. And here's why. We all had an idea that Joe Staley was going to retire, but we weren't too sure about it. Well, we became sure about it when when the Trent Williams trade happened because we're thinking, well, these two dudes alone have a ton of salary cap hit against them or against the team, if you will. And that just points to all the things that say Joe Staley's going to retire. And the fact that the Niners were able to get a top three tackle and literally, literally when healthy, a top three tackle in Trent Williams, that is shocking to say the least. So I got to give it to the Trent Williams trade, I think, Zach. And plus two, I think what also makes it more shocking is that they had the chance to take tackle at 13 with uh, Tristan Wirth still on the board, or they could have even taken tackle on the trade back with Josh Jones or Ezra Cleveland. And yet here they go all chips in on the board for Trent Williams. Let's make it happen. And they made it happen. So big, big, big props to John Lynch, Kyle Shanahan, and their whole front office to be able to get that type of trade done. It seems like Trent Williams is already very happy to be in San Francisco and be out of Washington. And we basically replaced Joe Staley with another Joe Staley, in my opinion. That's how good Trent Williams is. I think Trent Williams is just as good of a pass blocker. I think he's just as good of a run blocker. And he's just a workhorse, just like Joe Staley. And I think he'll be an excellent fit for this entire locker room. Again, Trent Williams is finally in a situation where he can be happy, he can be healthy. He'll have a real proper medical staff, just in case anything happens, actually diagnose him and take care of him, unlike Washington. And that could be the difference between a guy playing at an all-pro level and a guy playing like someone who should get cut. So big props to John Lynch. Big props for them to be able to get that Trent Williams trade done. And, yeah, it sucks to see Joe Staley retire. Who would have thought? But, hey, the fact that they were able to fill his position that fast is really, really surprising to me. Yeah, I understand that. I mean, the – the logic and, and getting Trent Williams. That was a huge shock. Um, I actually slept in a little bit that morning and I woke up to that news and it's one of those, you know, headlines that kind of makes you hop out of bed and, and, you know, there's a lot of excitement and then there's kind of the secondary reaction to where you're like, Oh, well the writing's on the wall for Joe Staley then. And uh, there had been so much kind of confirmation that he is coming back John Lynch said uh, on the 20th that, you know, he spoke to Joe. He's doing workouts at his home. He's given them no indication that he wouldn't come back. And then they acquired Trent Williams. And it's like, okay, obviously Joe Staley isn't coming back. Um, But to me, I think taking Javon Kinlaw was actually a pretty big shock. And mainly because there was so much speculation that the 49ers were going to take a wide receiver. Um, you know, with their, with their 13th, which ended up being the 14th pick. But I think that, I mean, you, like I said, you saw all of our reactions live when it happened, we were completely speechless. <laughs> and uh, I thought for sure it was going to be CD lamb. And the fact that they passed up on them to take Javon Kinlaw at first, it, it, it was shocking and I didn't really understand it, but now that some time has passed, it's grown on me and I, I do understand it a bit more. Um, but it, to be honest with you, if we're going off pure shock value, that was the more shocking um, 
shocking move that they made because like you said we've kind of been expecting joe staley to, to retire for a bit so that wasn't too shocking um obviously it's a shock when it happens but if i had to pick one it would be definitely selecting uh javon kinlaw over the top two wide receivers cd lamb and jerry judy now speaking of javon kinlaw um you know that was more of a shocker to us fans uh than the nfl analysts what was your reaction and uh, what do you think he'll bring to this team? So I definitely felt like that NFL analysts and even draft pundits and stuff had an inkling that the Niners are going to take Javon Kinlaw. We didn't really see that speculation ramp up until the last week to the draft, or even the second to last week, if you will, and really up until the Buckner trade happened. But again, it didn't really pick up until near draft time. So if I'm an analyst, I'm thinking, well, they lose Buckner, they have the chance to replace someone like Buckner with a player who has even higher ceiling than Buckner, in my opinion. And let's face it, Javon Kinlaw, I think, is a lot faster than Buckner. I think he is slightly stronger. I also think he's just more agile than Buckner is, whereas Buckner is just this huge, lunking beast of a defensive lineman. And Kinlaw is pretty good-sized himself, too. But I think Kinlaw has a little bit more pass rush to him, if you will, I think he has a little bit more quickness to his game. And I think that's what they were looking for in Kinlaw. And you saw this past season, Buckner had another very good season where he was getting doubled and eaten up run blocks, if you will. But overall, his effectiveness wasn't like the, the way it was the year before, where he had, what, 11 and a half sacks, 12 and a half sacks. And you saw that number for him just drop off. And I'm not saying that should have been the reason why they didn't bring him back. But to say that he had D Ford and Bosa and Armstead next to him and he still wasn't really able to produce those sack numbers, it was a little shocking. So I think being able to take Ken Law will definitely bring to the uh to the defensive line in particular what Buckner necessarily couldn't. But what Ken Law will bring to the team, Zach, he's fast, he's ferocious, he's hungry, he's he's another Hulk, just like Buckner. And I wouldn't be surprised if his production in his rookie year and second year, so I would say one and two, would be of that how Buckner's would be if he was still on the team, or even better. Again, I think Kenlaw has the best ceiling, and I think his ceiling as a player is right up there with Nick Bosa's, in my opinion. He is a monster. He's still pretty raw, so he has a lot of technique and stuff he needs to work on with his game. But overall, if this guy can even come close to his peak, It'll be very bad for NFL offensive lines, and I can guarantee that. Yeah, you know, that just the fact that he's joining um, a already stout defensive line. Um, Matt and I, Matt Llewellyn, on the latest video, we talked about this. Uh, go check it out, guys, on our YouTube channel if you haven't already. But we talked about how it's kind of the luckiest, best fitting scenario for Javon Kinlaw to go into. He goes into a defensive line with uh, four other first rounders and he's able to step in. Not all of the pressure is going to be on him right away. Uh, he's kind of able to develop somewhat at his own pace. He's still going to have some expectations to live up to. Um, but I just think that the 49ers are able to take their time with him and not put so much pressure on him right away. I think that the 49ers gain um, almost like a DeForest Buckner-esque type player. Um, I'm not going to compare to him straight up from the jump because I don't think that's fair to him. DeForest Buckner was a phenomenal player, but I think that they get a guy who's quick off the ball, 
Um, he, he eats up double teams like crazy, and he's definitely going to help free up other players and other guys like Eric Armstead, uh, even you know Nick Bosa, D Ford, even uh, guys like that around the edges. So I'm super excited to see what Kinlaw brings to this team because I think that the 49ers, in the end, made the right choice by taking him, although I know that's kind of uh, still a bit controversial. Um, now, Anthony, defensive line, you know, I just said it, it's kind of a bit of a controversial pick, mainly due to the fact that people felt that they did not need to address it with the 14th overall pick. Um, now that the dust has kind of settled a bit, do you think that the 49ers got good value for Javon Kinlaw at that spot? Yeah, I think so. It seems like that the Falcons were to have taken him if Kenlaw were to drop and the Niners did say take a wide receiver or they would have taken that tackle. And I think Kenlaw was linked to the Falcons for the longest time. And if it wasn't the Falcons, or excuse me, if it wasn't Kenlaw, it was a cornerback. And I think they ended up taking a corner. So nonetheless, I think they got excellent value in Kenlaw. We're going to watch Kenlaw bud into a superstar before a very Isaac. And I think once the dust settles for Kenlaw, People are going to be going, how come this dude didn't go top 10? And it's, it's like Aaron Donald. I think Aaron Donald was picked, what, number 13 by the Rams? I think, he, he, I think he dropped a little bit, and yet he turned into a superstar. So I'm not comparing Kinlaw to Aaron Donald in terms of his ability, but I think Kinlaw can be – like I think, I think Kinlaw's impact on the team could be like that of how people said, why didn't Donald go, like, number one or number two, you know? So, yeah – I think his pick at that position was very good value given the situation and given what happened with the Niners. And again, John Lynch said it too, or who was it, Shanahan or John Lynch? They had said that they basically pushed their chips all in on the table, hoping that Trent Williams was going to be able to fall to them, knowing that they could have taken Tristan Wirfs, and yet obviously they didn't take Wirfs and they got Trent Williams. So you could say that they pushed all their chips in and they won the hand. So nonetheless, getting Kinlaw on number fourteen when it seems like Kinlaw could have been there at number or a team at number nine or number ten or number eight, so be it could have taken Kinlaw. I think that's very good value for the Niners, and I think that's very good value in terms of in terms of his salary cap numbers as well. Because we saw what happened or what would have happened if they would have re-signed Buckner, where his cap hit would have been or what his total contract was like eighty four million guaranteed or some crazy number. And now Kinlaw alone will cost $15 million over like four years. So needless to say that it helps them in salary cap, and it just helps them get good value at pick number 14, honestly. Yeah, you know, when you mentioned that the Falcons were likely going to take him if the, if, uh, the 49ers didn't, I totally agree with that. I had been hearing kind of all week leading up to the draft that they're looking for a guy uh, to pair with, you know, Grady Jarrett. And I think that they were definitely eyeing Javon Kinlaw. And, you know, when, when it's all said and done, he was the number one rated interior defensive lineman in this draft. So to think that you get the number one ranked, you know, interior guy outside of the top 10 and you were able to trade back and acquire a pick, which you were later able to use for ammo to move up to get Brandon Ayuk. Um, I think that they got really, really good value for him, actually. And, you know, there's people that are coming out saying that they likely could have taken him at, you know, 31 if they would have st st uh, stood pat. I don't think that that's the case at all. I think he definitely would have been gone within the next couple of picks if they didn't take him. And you're looking at a guy who's going to be able to come in and contribute day one. 
um, how much he's going to be able to contribute. That remains to be seen. However, defensive line, you know, it, it's usually they get it or they don't. There's not that much of a learning curve. Whereas, you know, like the wide receiver position or the quarterback position, uh, defensive linemen are usually able to come in and produce at a relatively high level if they get the scheme. And um, from all that I've read about this guy, he seems like a really, really good student with a really high football IQ. And he just seems like a total dog. So I would have no doubt in me that um, he will be able to produce and make the 49ers proud for taking him at 14 overall. Um, Now, Anthony, like I said, they were able to trade up uh, to 25 overall with Minnesota to select uh, yards after catch monster Brandon Ayuk out of Arizona State. Do you think his impact on the team will be similar to Debo Samuels? Yeah, I think so. Not only do I think that his impact will be similar, but these dudes will be fighting for who will finish the season with the most yak. And I think the thing is, too, is that people are sleeping on the fact that this dude is six feet tall and has an 80-inch wingspan. He's got really long arms. I mean, this dude is like, God, what has long arms? I don't want to say like a T-Rex. T-Rex has short arms. But the point being is that this dude <laughs> this dude has incredibly long arms for his body size, and it's incredible. So not only do I think he could be a yak monster like Debo, but I also do think he could be a sneaky one-on-one contested catch type guy. And yeah, that might not be necessarily in his game, but Zach, you'd be surprised at what guys can do if they're a little, little bit on the short side but have really long arms. And... You could compare that to kind of like NBA players. There will be some NBA players who will be six feet, six one or six two, and have an eighty three or eighty four inch wingspan. I mean, they'll have really long arms. And that's not to say Ayuk is an NBA player, but I'm saying that his wingspan can be incredibly helpful in terms of his game, whether it comes to reaching for balls that are too far in front of him or behind him, a ball that might be too low or too high where he has to pluck it way above his helmet or way off the shoe tops. And he just brings a different dynamic to the team as a whole. So I don't think he'll just be a yak monster, Zach. I also think he'll be a really good, he'll grow into a really good contested catch guy where his ability won't just be yards after the catch. It'll also be being able to dominate one-on-one matchups. Yeah, I could definitely see that. Um, I know he's kind of being touted right now as a guy who, you know, is really, really lethal with the ball in open space. And don't get me wrong, he definitely is. But I don't think he's this one-dimensional guy uh, who's not able to kind of take the top off defenses or, you know, um, kind of run his routes really, really well. There's some concerns with his uh, physicality when it comes to breaking off routes and uh, catching contested balls. But I do think that uh, with Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk both on the field at the same time, the 49ers are going to be able to shred opposing defenses, not only on the ground now, but through the air because Jimmy Garoppolo was working with, um, with all due respect, n- you know, not the, not the highest graded uh, wide receiver group last year. And I think all you need to do is watch that first Seattle game to kind of get an idea of what I'm talking about. Um, he was not getting any help for the most part aside from George Kittle, obviously, and then Debo Samuel once he came on. So I think that with Brandon Ayuk, you know, being added into the mix, um, not much. It's it's kind of like a twofold because one, he's going to be able to take the ball, make some plays, do whatever he needs to do to, you know, help the team. And two, 
Jimmy Garoppolo isn't going to need to do as much. You know, he could do a little slant. He could do a little screen and then let the playmakers get the ball in open space and make a play. Um, I think that the less you ask of each player, the more that they're going to be able to produce, the more that they're going to be able to help each other. And I just think that this offense is really going to take a step forward next season. And I can't wait to see it. Now, Anthony, um, let's see. We talked about, you know, how the team could have gone if they would have taken one of the big three, which would have been C.D. Lamb or Jerry Judy when they were there at 14. Uh, do you think Brandon Ayuk has the ability to produce like either of those guys could have in this offense? Yeah, I, I think so, 100%. And look, you see guys like Kendrick Bourne and when Richie James has gotten playing time, Richie James and Dante Pettis step on the field. They produced when they were in their zone, if you will. And you don't need to be the fastest guy. You don't need to be the greatest of great route runners. You don't need to be the best one-on-one guy. You just need to be able to get open. And I think that Brandon Ayuk has that ability. And that's not to say that if they were to take a Jerry Judy or C.D. Lamb, or if he was there, Henry Ruggs at that position, to you know be able to do the things that Shanahan asks of his wide receivers. But I think Ayuk will be able to have that type of success. Again, he's a solid route runner. He's got he's got good long speed, I'd say. It's like once he gets some separation and once he really gets going, he just takes off and he's gone, just like Debo Samuel. And Debo Samuel isn't this big, monstrous, six foot three wide receiver who will pluck balls out of the air in one-on-one situations. And I mean, yeah, we've seen him do that, but that's not necessarily his game. His game is good route running, being able to bulldoze over DBs and get that extra step on a DB for a first down or an extra five or 10 yards. And I think even though Ayuk doesn't necessarily have that physical profile like Debo does, I think Ayuk can grow that into his game and kind of mold himself after a Debo Samuel who can really just get separation, take off and score a 70 yard touchdown before you blink. So yeah, I think Ayuk will have that ability just like the other three wide receivers would have in this offense. Again, Ayuk doesn't have like Jerry Judy's superb crisp route running or CeeDee Lamb's one-on-one physicality or Henry Ruggs' speed, if you will. I think Ayuk is a little bit below all three of those guys in each of those categories if you consider play style. But that's not to say that Ayuk couldn't be any of those guys at some point. And in my opinion, I think Ayuk will be one of those guys at some point in his career especially in this offense, especially with a wide receiver coach in Wes Welker who knows how to coach guys up. And obviously an offensive guru in Kyle Shanahan who, albeit in his fir- in rookies his first season as a wide receiver, it's pretty tough for him to get the playbook. But once they get it going, it makes a lot more sense from there. So yeah, Ayuk might struggle to begin with, but once he gets the game down and he once he gets his offense down, I think he could finish as the best wide receiver in his rookie year out of this entire draft class. Man, I thought you were going somewhere else with that sentence, something along the lines of best receiver in 49ers franchise history. I'm like, whoa, 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 let's calm down here. <laughs> but um, I really think that the um, Brandon Ayuk, he's a very, very talented receiver, and it's difficult to say um, if he's going to be able to put up the sort of production that a guy like Jerry Judy or a guy like C.D. Lamb, who are both there at 14 when the 49ers selected, Javon Kinlaw, if um, the same type of production that those guys would in this offense, um, those guys are bona fide number one wide receivers. Those guys are the type of guys that you select to 
come in and fall out day one. Um, they're able to somewhat carry an offense, so to speak. And I don't think Ayuk is that, at least yet. I don't think he's going to be that day one. I think he has the opportunity to uh, grow into that type of player. But I don't think as of right now, he's as NFL ready as the other two would have been. But there's a certain type of traits that Kyle Shanahan covets in a fort and a wide receiver, excuse me. And I think Brandon Ayuk has a lot of those traits. So who's to say that, you know, they wouldn't have done as well in this offense because they're not specifically what Kyle Shanahan is looking for. Uh, Brandon Ayuk seems to be tailor-made according to what coach said. Um, you saw after the selection, John, John Lynch and uh, coach Shanahan were on the phone with Brandon Ayuk and they, they very clearly said, you were our number one ranked, you know, wide receiver. And, and they were even considering taking him at 13, which is crazy to me. And could you imagine the backlash if they would have done that? Fans are already mad that they took him at 25. But I just think that, you know, he's going to be good. It remains to be seen if, if Jerry Judy, obviously, or CD Lamb would have been better. But I think that the conversation is kind of moot because Brandon Ayuk will be good in this offense. Um, now, they also selected um, another wide receiver in the seventh round, uh, Jennings out of Tennessee. Uh, now that brings a wide receiver room to 11 guys, Anthony. Do you think this wide receiver room could be the deepest or slash underrated in the NFL? Yeah, I say so. And here's why. This isn't like a wide receiver room like in Dallas that has Amari Cooper and Michael Gallup and now C.D. Lamb or a wide receiver room in Oakland that has Henry Ruggs, Tyrell Williams, and now Brian Edwards, another really good rookie. Nah, this is a wide receiver room, Zach, that I think a lot of people will sleep on. But don't sleep on it just because these are guys that aren't necessarily first-round talent, obviously outside of Ayuk now. But these are guys who are meant for Kyle Shanahan's offense, who will absolutely scare NFL defenses just because of their route running, just because of how Kyle Shanahan can scheme these guys open. You don't need to be the fastest, quickest, strongest wide receiver in this offense to get the job done. You need to be a solid route runner with good hands, who knows the playbook, who understands the field and knows how to read corners, knows where to sit in soft spots and zones, and who, yeah, may, might have to win a contested catch every now and then. But overall, you just got to understand Kyle Shanahan's playbook to be able to be a really good wide receiver for Kyle Shanahan. So yeah, if I'm the NFL... I think I'm scared. They got a dude in Jawan Jennings who's what, six foot three, who is very, very like his play style is very similar to how Jalen Hurds is. And he's he's a bulldozer. He really is. He's very quick, very shifty. He doesn't have, you know, super long deep speed, if you will, but he's a very physical runner, a very solid route runner. Again, doesn't have the breakaway speed, but in this offense you don't need that. You need to be able to just be a bully. And that's what guys like Debo Samuel and Brandon Ayuk can be, is they are all bullies. And you look at a Jalen Hurd, and you look at Jawan Jennings, and you look at even Trent Taylor, just because he's small, that dude is a bulldog on the field. And that's absolutely what Kyle Shanahan wants, is guys who are bulldogs. So you get a guy like Jawan Jennings, who's basically Jalen Hurd 2.0 without the bad back, and all of a sudden you have a really, not overwhelming, but you have a really talented wide receiver room where it feels like <laughs> it feels like that you don't know 
like like if so if they cut someone even if they cut like a dude like Sean Poindexter you figure like man Poindexter could have been good in this offense or if they cut like Trent Taylor or Dante Pettis you go damn those dudes could have really been good in this offense even if they've been hurt or have had a down season so yeah I think the thing to understand too is as Niners fans we know what these guys' talents and skills are but to the rest of the NFL not so much Like, once the NFL saw Debo Samuel, you go, wow, this dude is a monster. Once people see Brandon Ayuk in this offense, they're going to go, wow, this dude really should have went pick 13 or pick 11, whatever it may be. And you're going to see that these wide receivers are really going to show out in Kyle Shanahan's offense. And these dudes might not be the most physically imposing, but with an offensive genius like Shanahan, he can make any wide receiver be like a Julio Jones or a Calvin Johnson. Don't be surprised that all these guys are going to stand out at some point throughout the season. So, yeah, some people may not understand, but once the tape really gets rolling for these guys and once they understand the offense, these wide receivers are going to be very scary for the NFL, in my opinion. Okay, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there, but I think that this question is tricky because a lot of it is banking on unproven potential and I, it, it was hard for me to answer when I was thinking about this question because I, and, and I did talk about this with Matt on our, our last uh, video. I think it'll go up tomorrow. So check it out on YouTube. I make sure you like and subscribe to the channel. But um, it, it can be two totally different scenarios. Uh, say Trent Taylor and Jalen Hurd come back healthy. Uh, say Brandon Ayuk is a total hit. Say a guy like Juwan Jennings makes the roster and starts producing you know, um, the 49ers suddenly have a hit smash group of receivers who are ready to go out there and produce. However, on the flip side, what if Trent Taylor returns, but he's he's not the same? What if Jalen Hurd isn't able to return, which, mind you, uh, the news today is, is is the opposite that he should be able to. But I'm just I'm just talking hypothetically here. Then it's a completely different scenario. And the 49ers, again, look like a pretty top heavy group of receivers uh, with a bunch of kind of unfamiliar names underneath who are trying to make a name for themselves in the NFL. So it's going to be interesting to see, but I do think that if things pan out as planned, then yeah, they definitely do have one of the more underrated uh, receiver groups in the NFL. Um, I think Debo and Brandon Ayuk this year will will shock a lot of people. I mean, you saw Debo come on last year as it was, and, and make a name for himself. And a lot of people, you know, he's somewhat of a household name now. And I would not be surprised to see the same thing from Brandon, I, uh, <coughs> excuse me, from Brandon Ayuk next year. Now, Anthony, uh, the 49ers also drafted Charlie Warner and Colton Mikovits, two tough players who can uh, be road graders. Do you, do you think everyone in this draft class makes the final 53? Yeah. I, I think they have the ability to, obviously, a first-round pick. Ayuk should damn near be a lock unless he does anything stupid. Prayers up, he won't. The Niners had no second-round pick. They had no third-round pick. They had no fourth-round pick. What, they had no fifth-round pick? <laughs> no, they had – what? yeah, they took McKivitz in the fifth round. They took McKivitz. Then they took Warner. Then they took Jawan Jennings. I think that last wide receiver spot is going to come down to the wire, but I think you draft a guy like McKivitz and hoping he can – 
have a really good training camp and really good preseason to be a good backup tackle or backup guard because the guy has flexibility at either position for his, you know, while he played that in college. So, yeah, I think McKivitz has a good shot. You know, the team lost Levine Toilolo and they lost Garrett Selleck. So they needed another tough blocking tight end, another tough guy with a who has a good physical profile. Don't sleep on Charlie Warner. Charlie Warner may be known for his blocking at Georgia, but the guy has sneaky good athleticism that I think will be a big benefit to this Niners offense. It's just like George Kittle. George Kittle was super athletic, a really good blocker, but he wasn't known for his receiving stats or touchdowns in college. So I think Charlie Warner might be very similar to how George Kittle was coming out. And then that leaves Jawan Jennings. I know we just talked about the wide receivers, but damn, dude, this is going to come down to the wire. And it's similar to the running backs, I think. We, we're not necessarily sure how many running backs the Niners will carry going into the regular season. And I think the same could be said about the wide receivers, too. They may keep six. They may keep seven. You never know. There's a lot of good talent in that wide receiver room just to cut and just to wave. And again, we look at Jawan Jennings' highlights, we look at the tape, and we realize, man, this guy could be really special in Shanahan's offense. So I don't think he's worth it stashing on the practice squad. I think if he does get P-squatted, he would get picked up almost instantly, and I think I can guarantee that. This guy fell to the seventh round when he was projected to go mid-rounds, fourth to fifth. So the fact that the Niners got him in the seventh is an absolute steal. So yeah, overall, I think the entire draft class, oh, including Javon Kinlaw, I think the entire draft class has a very good shot at making the team. Kinlaw will be a starter. Ayuk will be a starter. McKivitz will be good offensive line depth. Warner will be probably tight end three or even tight end two. I think Ross Dwelly and Warner will be interchangeable, but we'll see when that time comes. And obviously, Jawan Jennings is the biggest wild card just because of all the other receivers coming off of injury and their ability and this and that. So if I had to give a scale, like if I had to give a number on a scale of one to 10 of my confidence of these guys making the final 53, I think I'd give it a good eight out of 10. Okay. That's, that's pretty high. Um, I, I, I could see that. And I definitely think that there's a case to be made for each individual guy. But my problem is, that this was a Super Bowl roster a year ago. Obviously, they didn't win it, but they they went to the Super Bowl. They were very very close to winning the Super Bowl, and outside of maybe you know five guys, the majority of the roster is coming back, which is extremely rare. You don't really see that usually. Uh, teams that are coming off of a Super Bowl, either win or loss, they're a completely different squad the next season. Um, and, and, you know, outside of Buckner and Sanders, who the 49ers immediately found replacements for in the draft, younger and cheaper, I might add, um, it's going to be hard for guys to, to stick on this roster. And to be honest with you, I think that's why John Lynch and company were so willing to kind of move picks because they kind of realized not that many guys are going to be able to, to, to land on this roster to begin with. We might as well value quality over quantity. And just take the guys that we're really, really fond of. So if I had to put a number on it, I would say maybe 60%, 6 out of 10 chance that the whole draft class does make uh, the roster. But I could definitely see the case as to why each guy should make it. Just like I said, it's a really, really tough roster to make. There's a lot of 
uh, proven guys on there. There's a lot of proven depth guys on there. So they definitely face an uphill battle, but it, it can be done. I'm not saying it, um, that there's a zero zero percent chance. Um, now, Anthony, we're going to go ahead and close things out here, guys. Um, we also have my interview with Al Sacco of 4th and 9 and 49ers Web Zone. Uh, so we hope you guys enjoy that. But before we get to that, we are going to close it out with our closing thoughts and standard shout outs. Anthony, you want to go first? You want me to go first? I'll go first, man. It was tough to watch. It was tough to really hear about, but shout out to Joe Staley, dude. I'm sure this might be your shout out too, or will be in a later podcast, but in any event, what a shock that he retired in the middle of the draft and an even bigger shock that the team was able to address his position with Trent Williams. But Holy crap, dude. We saw how upset he was after the Super Bowl loss, and I don't blame him. The guy has been working his ass off to get to the Super Bowl. He finally had his chance, and the Niners just, man, they. I'm sorry. I'm still so salty about it, but they laid an egg in the fourth quarter against the Chiefs, something that should have hap- shouldn't have happened. And, I mean, I have nightmares about it every single night. But in any event, shout-out to Joe Staley. He had an excellent Niners career. We could dedicate a whole podcast to him if we wanted but just for our standard shout-out, man, he's my only one of the night. Big shout-out to Joe Staley. I'm going to miss the guy, but Trent Williams, I think, is filling up some really good shoes or really big shoes, and I think he'll be able to fulfill that, I guess, that void that Joe Staley is going to leave because of his retirement. Yeah, that that's a pretty good shout-out. Um, shout-out to Joe Staley. A wonderful career, a wonderful legacy he will leave here in the Bay Area. He will be forever a long time, or excuse me, a forever fan favorite. Um, no matter where he goes, he will be definitely in the hearts of all 49ers fans. And he will be tied for the favorite Joe in the Bay Area. Maybe maybe, maybe second, maybe second due to Joe Montana. Um, but yeah, Joe, Joe Staley was a fantastic 49er and he really embodied everything it meant to be a 49er and I just want to say I feel so lucky to be able to have just experienced uh, his play because I'm 20, I'll be 26 uh, next month, and I'm not really old enough to have been able to be to see you know Steve Young and, and uh, Joe Montana live, but I was able to see Joe Staley, and I, I really really do appreciate that. Um, I was able to see a generational talent, and it's just you know when you sit back and think about it, it really is uh, great to think about. Now, my standard shout-outs, um, Anthony, uh, after the draft, you went ahead and tweeted out what did, or excuse me, after the first round specifically, what did people think of the team's first-round selections? And we said we would pick a couple of the best answers. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and start here. There is one by, I'm going to butcher this name, but uh, Haas von Schlegel, and uh, he said that the real gem of the first round was putting out the Staley rumor and setting up an a tackle needy team to jump up. Tampa took the bait. San Francisco still got their guy gained a pick and used it as ammo to jump back up at the end of the round to get their guy at wide receiver. It was textbook brilliance. And that's really a good point. You know, that they strategically released that kind of that, that leak that Joe Staley was going to be retiring. And, you know, I think I saw a report today that Tampa was a hundred percent sure that they were going to take um, a guy like Tristan Wirfs. And so they felt the need to jump up and get him. And just like uh, John Lynch did to Ryan Pace and the Bears, they moved back a spot and got the guy they were still going to get where they were. So I thought that was a pretty cool answer. Anthony, do you want to read one? 
Yeah, I'm going to read two of them just because I'm greedy. <laughs> but uh, this is the first one from Coach Rhapsody. He says, I think the ceiling for both picks is huge. It will either be brilliant or a total miss. It does feel a little bit like John Lynch's first draft. Trade back one spot for the player you want and then trade up for the next guy on your board. I trust the process, though. And I think I agree with him 100%. Look, we're banking on two guys in the first round who have tremendous upside in this offense and defense, but who are both a little raw and a little unready, if you will. And I don't mean unready in the sense that they're unready for the NFL. I just mean that they're not physically and mentally there yet for NFL competition. And that's not to say that they're going to get their ass kicked. That's just saying that these dudes really got to grind and practice and get their damn job done. But no, nah, I think Coach Rhapsody hit it right on the head. It was just like John Lynch's first draft. Trade back one spot, still get Solomon Thomas. Trade back into the first round to pick 31 and get Reuben Foster. Obviously, those two guys haven't necessarily worked out. Obviously, Foster isn't on the team and Solomon Thomas still hasn't really peaked yet. But let's pray that'll happen. But yeah, I think uh, I think that it is hit or miss, and praying that these guys will be hit rather than miss. But we look at the growth of the team, we look at the growth of the coaching staff and where the team is at now, and I have a full 100% belief that these guys will be able to get the job done. And then this leads to my second one from Caldy at AJC4949. He says, I'm thrilled with both choices. Five to six players won't be making team this year like years past. They just added two impact players day one. John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan earned my trust over the first three years. Have there been misses in past drafts? Yes. The last I checked, no GM coach is batting 100% when drafting players. Damn, Caldy, this might be the most realist tweet I think I've ever read yet. He's right. No GM and coach combination ever hits 100% on the draft. I think the closest we've seen is like the Saints last year or the year before where they took Eric McCoy and then I think they took Marcus Davenport. It was that same draft. They hit on a lot of good players, but no team is going to hit 100%. And yeah, it's, it's going to happen where guys get cut. And it's going to suck to see maybe someone like McKivitz get cut or maybe someone like Warner or Jawan Jennings get cut. But you got to trust that this front office knows what they're doing. You got to trust that the two guys they took in the first round are going to be impact day one starters who can get the job done right away. And you also got to hope that the guys they took in the back end of the draft are going to be key depth players. So yeah, no team is going to hit on 100%. But if these guys can really fill out their role with the team, I have every reason, just like Caldy, to 100% trust and believe in John Lynch. Yeah, you know, those are those are some really good answers, guys. Thanks thanks for uh, responding with those. And there, there were a bunch more that we weren't able to pick just for the sake of time. But we, we did read them all, and we appreciate you guys, you know, responding. Um, now, I'm going to move into my, my standard shout-out. And I only have one. Um, and tomorrow, the 49ers will have uh, a media kind of video conference and starting at 11 a.m. And these are all on Pacific Standard Time. Uh, 11 a.m., Patrick Willis will be available. 2 p.m., Mike McGlinchey will be available. 2.30, George Kittle. And finally, at 3 p.m., Joe Staley. Uh, so make sure you guys tune into that. Make sure you have some tissues handy because it probably will be uh, somewhat of a tearjerker, at least for me. And that's, uh, you know, credit to Rob Lauder for going and tweeting that out. Um, that's going to do it for us tonight, guys. Anthony, you got any final thoughts here before we wrap things up and proceed with the Al Sacco interview? Nah, 
I this was a really good podcast, Zach. I can't wait for you guys to listen to the Al Sacco interview. It is really good, really exciting. Sacco is a genuine dude who knows what he's talking about, and have fun listening to it, guys. Zach did a really good interview, and again, it's just a lot of fun to interview, or a lot of fun to listen to, a lot of fun to listen to. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah, like I said, guys, uh, enjoy the Al Sacco interview. Make sure you follow him on Twitter at AlSacco49. Make sure you follow 49ers Hive at 49ers Hive and the podcast RGS Pod. Um, you can follow Anthony at Perry underscore 49ers. Is that right? Yes, sir. Perry underscore 49ers. That's P-E-R-R-Y underscore 49-E-R-S. All right, and you guys can follow me at Zach Hernan. And also, real quick, before we go, we are holding three separate chances to give a, to win a jersey. Um, go sub- like, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Make sure you turn notifications on so you are notified anytime we upload any content. Um, once we reach 1,000 subscribers there, we will randomly select somebody to win a 49ers jersey. Uh, once we reach 7,000 on Twitter, we will also be selecting a random follower to win a jersey and once we once we reach 1000 on instagram we will be selecting a random follower to win a jersey those are three separate chances to win a jersey guys take advantage of it uh spread the word the faster we get to those goals the faster somebody gets a jersey we just gave away a jersey uh on uh night night one of the nfl draft somebody got a george kittle jersey so please please uh subscribe follow do whatever you got to do to spread the word because uh, you could be the lucky one. Um, that's going to do it for us tonight, guys. I uh, hope you guys appreciate the Al Sacco interview. Um, tweet us your thoughts. Let us know what you think. And if you guys are listening on Apple Podcasts, please leave us a five-star review. We read all of them. We really appreciate it. Uh, have a good night. Take care. And we'll talk to you guys soon. What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in. I'm joined here by Al Sacco of 4th and 9 and 49ers Web Zone. Al, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, thanks for being on. Uh, so today was a pretty big day with the 49ers. Um, I know a lot of people were thinking, you know, it's going to be kind of a quiet day, draft day, but they made some moves. Um, so let's go ahead and talk about it. We can start with uh, yesterday, or excuse me, Friday. I guess it is yesterday, Thursday. I'm all, I'm all over the place. Uh, <laughs> the first round, the 49ers, there was a lot of talk of them moving back, acquiring some picks due to their lack of picks. Um, that didn't really happen. I mean, they traded down one pick from 13 to 14. Um, do you think that the offers weren't right for them to trade back into the second round, kind of acquire more picks, or do you think they weren't aiming to do that to begin with? I think that they had the guys that they wanted. And for me going into this draft, I really believed that they had to get a couple impact players because they weren't as good of a team as a team that walked off the field in that Super Bowl to me. And the reason for that was, is you lose the force Buckner and you lose Emmanuel Sanders. And you look at the defensive line first. Everybody says, well, this is a deep group. This is a deep group. It really wasn't because coming back, you, you had Jones, you had Bosa, you had 40 at Armstead. You feel good about those guys. But beyond that, Ronald Blair's coming off an ACL. Julian Taylor's coming off an ACL. Contavious Street has been injured. Um, you know, Salomon Thomas hasn't played up to what we'd hoped. So they did need some help there. So I, I thought that they were going to go defense, and I thought they were going to adjust that line because, listen, that's how they're built. So if Kinlaw was the guy that they thought could come in and make an impact, I, I, I really do believe they were content in taking him. And the same thing with Sanders. You saw what happened when he came into the fold last year and how well they did in, in the passing game because they struggled before he got there. 
So they really needed to get somebody else to step in there and take some pressure off Debo, take some pressure off Kittle. And um, the receiver position was, I thought was huge for them just as much as the defensive tackle was. So I really believe those were two positions that they wanted to fill. And I think that they did that. Yeah, that's a good point, you know, um, and there's a lot, a lot of talk necessarily. I've heard people say that, you know, taking Kinlaw uh, 14 overall was more of like a luxury pick. And, you know, I, I guess I could see that, but I, I think that they were kind of seeing tit for tat, eye for an eye. They lose Buckner and they're able to plug it with mm-hmm. Kinlaw. Uh, they lose Sanders and then they they pick up a guy like Brandon Ayuk. Um, and, you know, speaking of Brandon Ayuk, they passed on Jerry Judy and CeeDee Lamb to take Javon Kinlaw. Um, mm-hmm. Do you think that that was their right choice to, to, to do that? I really felt that it was time for them to get a big time receiver. And you look at, there's all this pressure on Jimmy Garoppolo and he's got to get better with this and he didn't play well in the playoffs. So you got to give him weapons, man. I, I really felt you couldn't go into the season with just really Kittle and Debo as your top two passing targets. There's not much else there. Bourne's a terrific role player, but I don't think he's the type of guy you can count on for six catches a game and a hundred yards, that type of thing. He makes big catches, but I, I don't think he's a necessarily consistent threat. And beyond those three guys, there wasn't much there in the passing game. So yeah, when Lamb and Judy were there, I said, you got to take one of these guys. So I was surprised that they didn't. And then with Kinlaw, you know, they are built around the defensive line. So they took him and, and the next pick had to be a receiver. And look for Shanahan, if if Ayuk was the guy that he that he wanted, if he was the number one guy on his board, then, you know, I guess who are we to argue? Kyle knows more about his offense than we do. It's not where I would have went. I, I would have definitely gone with Lamb or Judy and gotten what I thought a guy who could really come in and be that number one guy. And listen, maybe maybe their guy can, but we'll see what happens. But if if that was Shanahan's guy and he went out and got him, good for them. They hopefully got two guys that are going to step in and make that impact that I was talking about. Yeah, you know, that's a good point. And, and that actually, you know, leads me to my next question. Afterwards, they were kind of talking to uh, Brandon Ayuk. It looked like on a FaceTime call and both Kyle and John. I mean, when they made the pick, they were ecstatic. They were so happy. And it was co- almost like I was kind of sitting there thinking, like, I get it. This is, you know, a great wide receiver. Brandon Ayuk is, is fantastic. But. You mm-hmm. passed on Jerry Judy and CD Lamb to get it. And then it kind of came out that Brandon Ayuk was their number one target. They had them ranked number uh, wide receiver one. Uh, do you think that really is the case? And if so, what did they see in him that the rest of the league kind of didn't, or at least didn't value as much as they did with the other two receivers? Case because other than rugs, they had their chance at any receiver they, they wanted. And if they wanted Judy and Lamb that bad, I, I believe that they would they would have taken them. But Shanahan has his guys. He has guys that he likes. He's got a certain type of receiver that, that he wants. He, he he To me, Shanahan, he has faith in his offense. So he looks at a guy that fits well in his offense, maybe rather than somebody who would, you know, look like a big target or a guy that can come in and just dominate a game. Shanahan's looking for a guy that fits his offense. And I think Ayuk does that in the way that, that he's got that run after the catchability. And look, Garoppolo is a very accurate passer in, in the short game, 10 to 15 yards. And got a guy like Debo who's great after the catch. You got a guy like Ayuk who's after the catch. So for Shanahan, he sees a guy like him and he thinks he could scheme him open. And then you're going to get all those big plays after the catch. So that's probably what he saw in him. And if he said he was his number one guy, considering where he took him in the guys that he passed up on, I believe it. And yeah, I think you have to believe it. Now I, I know on Twitter, I saw a lot of people back and forth where they weren't sure about the pick. And I think that comes from Shanahan's kind of had, he's picked two receivers high, right? Debo looks great. Pettis was a bust. So, or he appears to be a bust anyway. So people feel right now like, well, can we trust the pick? We're kind of 50, 50 on it. 
but only time will tell. But the way I look at it, like I said, Kyle knows his offense, Kyle knows guys that are going to fit in there. And if he's the person who thought was going to be the best fit in this draft, I have to see how it turns out. Yeah. You know, that's a good point. And I saw, um, I think Grant Cohn actually tweeted out the list of guys that Kyle Shanahan or the front office, I should say, has traded up to get. And it's not, it's not good names, you know? Uh, uh, mm-hmm. So hopefully this breaks the mold. Hopefully this, uh, you know, Brandon, IU comes in and, and blows it out of the water. And, and that, that is my next question. Actually, who do you think is more capable of coming in day one and, and contributing between Brandon, Ayuk and Javon Kinlaw? Oh, it's got to be Kinlaw. Wide receiver is so difficult to come in right away and make an impact. You look at the year Debo had, he had 820 yards receiving. That was the second most for a rookie in 49ers history. Only Jerry Rice had more. So seasons like that don't come along very often. So it's going to be tough for Ayuk at first. He's going to have to you know, get, a, get accustomed to that playbook. And they may not even have offseason with the way things are going with, with the pandemic and everything else. So who knows what training camp is going to be, who, who knows about OTAs. So it could be tough for him to come in and learn the playbook. So I think Kinlaw is going to be the guy that, that can step in right away and, and, and make an impact, especially with people around him with Armstead and Bosa and Ford and Jones, with those guys sharing the line with him, he's not going to get a lot of the attention. So he could definitely come in and I think make the impact sooner. Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, I think a lot of people are kind of forgetting how different this year is going to be because of the pandemic. Uh, you know, I think the saints came out saying they weren't going to have an off season program at all. Um, and that, you know, we'll see if teams follow suit. Uh, I'm sitting mm-hmm. here chatting with Al Sacco of fourth and nine and 49ers web zone. Um, Al, what do you think the logic was of not addressing the secondary when there are so many expiring contracts coming up after this season? Yeah, I don't know. And I, I was talking to somebody earlier and I, I kind of compared it to a couple of years ago when they didn't have an edge rusher and they didn't address it. It was a year where they had Cassius Marsh and they were like, oh, we'll see who else. It just was a little bit strange to me because you do look at that secondary. They set for this year. Yes, ab- absolutely. They should be fine. But Sherman's contract is expiring. Witherspoon's contract is expiring. Tarts is expiring. Um, Quan Williams is expiring. So that's that's a little bit scary to think where they're going to be two years from now. And, and maybe just next year, that's what they're going to do. They're going to address the secondary. That's that's going to be the big thing. But I thought they would. I actually thought C.J. Henderson would have a chance to be a pick. And obviously, he went before they picked, but I don't even think he was on their radar. But it's something they're definitely going to, they're going to have to extend these guys or do something next year. But I was a little bit surprised. They didn't at least take a flyer on a guy in, in the later rounds. I, I take, a, I don't know who the undrafted free agents are yet. I don't know if those have been announced as of when we're talking, but I wouldn't be surprised if they take a flyer on some cornerbacks there, but we'll have to see. It's going to be something definitely to watch after this season. I think that'll be the big position that they target. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I was kind of shocked. Um, you know, they must be banking on, how how well their defensive line is going to play out. Um, I was talking about with the rest of the 49ers five team, and we were saying perhaps they're really, really putting all of their coins in the defensive line, being so stout and so elite that the secondary isn't really going to have to play at a really, really high level in order to, to be successful. Um, so I guess that remains to be seen how that's going to play out. It worked pretty well for them last season, but I, I don't think you can expect – uh, a secondary to play historically good two years in a row. I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, now, today, obviously, there was some really, really big news. Uh, the 49ers made a number of moves. Probably the biggest would be acquiring left tackle Trent Williams from the Washington Redskins. Um, they traded a 2025th, 
and a 2021 third round pick in exchange for him. Um, do you think this proves that they are in fact in win now mode? Oh yeah. They wanted to run this thing back and you, you look at the people they lost. So they lose Buckner, they lose Sanders and now they ultimately lose Staley in the three big pieces. They plug in are Kinlaw, Ayuk and Trent Williams. They just replace those guys that they lost and they're going to run this thing back. Now, will those guys fare as well as the people that they lost? Only time will tell. We don't know what the, how these guys are going to play with the Niners. You assume Trent Williams is going to be fantastic, but the rookies, you just don't know. But I think they really were trying to run this thing back this year. And we'll see with Williams after the season, because it doesn't look like they're going to sign into an extension, at least for right now. So do they let him walk? Do they clear money and you don't get a comp pick next year? Do they clear money by getting rid of somebody like Ford next year to re-sign Williams? That'd be really interesting to see, but no, they're in it to go forward again this season. And it's, it's going to be a lot of fun. You know, you lose somebody like Staley and, and honestly, you know, we all love Staley, but Williams is an upgrade at this point. So it's going to be exciting to see this offense go with him at left tackle next year. And the Niners, hopefully, you know, there's going to be a lot of competition with the saints and the bucks and the Seahawks are always tough, just to name a few teams. But the Niners should be right up there with the other Super Bowl contenders again. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, they it's almost like they're in win-now mode. But if you know they have the opportunity to extend Trent Williams, and then it kind of sets them up for a longer period of time. So it's interesting to see how they're going to play this. Um, and then yep. also, later on in the day, they announced that they traded Matt Breida to Miami for a 2025th rounder. Um, how much confidence do you put in the running backs room? And do you think uh, Jarek McKinnon will finally contribute this year? You know, with Breida, I was always a big Breida guy. And I know he really struggled at the end of the season with well, he struggled fumbling, which he never, never had before. And he was obviously in Kyle's doghouse because he didn't touch the ball hardly in the playoffs. So the thing with Breida too, is, you know, you, you say you just plug in a running back in Kyle Shanahan system and they're going to do fine. Well, you look at the yards per carry for the guys that they had since they've had Shanahan and Mostert's been fantastic. He's had six yards of carry. Um, Kevin Coleman, only four yards of carry. Um, Jeff Wilson, who I know he does a lot of goal line work, but he's only at four yards of carry. Carlos Hyde was 3.9. Alfred Morris was 3.9. Matt Breida was five yards of carry and he had two seasons back to back of over five yards of carry He had a lot of big runs for them. So I, I think he's going to, he is going to be missed, but you'll have the one, two punch of Mostert and Coleman. Other than a few games last year, I wasn't, I don't think Coleman really played super well. He had the big game against Carolina. He had another hundred yard game in the season. And then he did play well in the playoffs. I'll give him that. He definitely bounced back. But during the regular season, he, he had a lot of rough games there. I think most of it's going to be the guy that's going to get 60% of the carries. And then you'll see Coleman as the number two guy. Wilson, I think is, you know, is a short yardage guy. He's somebody who can make an impact, but you asked about McKinnon. We'll see. I, I can't put a lot of faith in a guy who hasn't been on the field in two years. I think they have to look at it as anything we get from him as a plus. If he's healthy and they can get him in the mix, great. But I, I just don't think he's somebody you can count on right now. We'll just have to wait and see what happens when the season starts and if, if he's healthy and how his knee responds. But right now, I'd look at that running back room as Mostert, who earned to be as much of a number one guy in the system as, as you can be, because they'll, they'll always kind of go with committee hot hand, but most are earned to be getting, you know, 15 carries a game, I think. And then Coleman can maybe do five or six and we'll see how else they do it. But if, if the group stays healthy, I, I, I think that they're okay. Um, running back is kind of a plug and play position these days. Um, you know, diamond dozen with some of these guys, but I think they're in really good shape with the guys that they have, as long as injuries don't, don't kill them. Yeah, you know, that's a good point, especially, you know, Kyle Shanahan's offense. Like you said, you can kind of plug and play guys and they're able to just 
you know, have success no matter, matter who it is. It seems like uh, Jeff Wilson was like a, a diamond in the rough that they found and they were able to plug and have pretty good success. Uh, uh, excuse me. Pretty good amount of success with um, now last question here, as of right now with uh, the draft over and uh, the 49ers kind of yield looking like minus undrafted free agency that hasn't really concluded yet. Would you say right now that they are in a better position to set up a Super Bowl run next year than they were at the end of the season? I still don't think so because you don't know what you what you're gonna get from the rookies. You knew what you were gonna get from Buckner and Sanders. You don't know what you're gonna get from the guys that you're bringing in. And another thing with Buckner that that's kind of, was has kind of been lost. We talked about his production. He was an Iron Man. He he only missed one game his entire career. He started every other game. It was 15 games his rookie year, and then he started every game since. So he played a lot of snaps. He was on the field. He was he was an Iron Man. He was probably the second best player. I, I'd probably put Bosa over him arguably last year, but he was definitely at worst the second best player on the defense, I think. Best player of the year before. So you're you're taking a guy out who's really, really difficult to replace. I, I don't think Kinlaw can come in and have that kind of an impact. He, maybe eventually, but as a rookie, I, I I don't think so. And Sanders too, you know, he's, he's a savvy vet. I know he only he had a few big games too, but he still had big catches. He was still somebody Garoppolo trusted. So I just don't think you're going to bring in two rookies they're going to be as good as those guys. You have to hope that Garoppolo gets a little bit better and Debo improves and Trent Williams helps solidify, you know, the whole offensive line in pass protection and Brunskill is better than person in pass protection. And those things kind of pick up the guys that they lost defensively. They're still built around that defensive line. The secondary, I, I still think will be good enough next year. Hopefully Sherman can fight off age and still play pretty well, but the linebacker group is good. They're still a Super Bowl contender. They're still a playoff team. Do I think they're as good of a team as they were last year? No, because Buckner and Sanders are such huge losses. Yeah, that's a good point. I don't think a lot of people are talking about um, the the factor that DeForest Buckner did only miss one game in his whole career, like you said. Um, he's, you know, Kinlaw's got some pretty big shoes to fill right away. And when, when a situation happens like that, where you're traded and then you're, you know, somebody's immediately taken to replace that guy, it's almost like that shadow is always going to be cast over uh, Kinlaw and he's always going to be compared to DeForest Buckner, no matter what he does. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see. I think the 49ers, they did a pretty good job for the most part of trying to plug the holes that they lost, um, you know, tit for tat, like I said earlier. So it remains to be seen how things uh, turn out. Al, I want to thank you for joining me. Um, everybody, make sure you go follow Al on Twitter. Uh, his his uh, tag is below on the screen. Um, anything else you want to say before we wrap it up here? Uh, let's just hope the season starts on time and, and, and the Niners can run this thing back and, and be right back in Super Bowl contention again. Awesome. Thanks, everybody. Have a good one. Thank you.